Good evening. Good evening. It's good to have this number out with us for our evening half of our worship service. I didn't have my recorder ready to go, so I was having to stumble up here for a second. But this evening, let's let's talk about our faith. Let's let's dive into ourselves. We're going to get some good biblical examples there in Hebrews chapter eleven. So if you have your Bibles, be opening up there with me to Hebrews chapter eleven, the the, the chapter of faith. We get two wonderful examples of folks with faith. We're going to look at three, but two wonderful examples. We think of our think of ourselves, and as we reflect upon the examples that the Bible has given us on faith, we see what faith's done for these individuals. We see what happens as these individuals use their faith and their task that was given to them, and they overcome something. But we see the outcome of this. And it's a direct reflection of ourselves and the type of faith that we should have. Now, as we're studying this, I want you to look within yourself. Now, when it pertains to God's Word, His promise to us as we looked at that this morning, and as we keep that fresh into our minds of His promise, do we trust in that promise? Do we hold dear to that promise? If we're holding dear to it, what does our faith look like? We need to ask ourselves that question. So as we see these two examples, I said we're going to look at three. We look at these two specific examples of folks with great faith. As we have opened our Bibles to Hebrews, we're going to start reading in verse 6. Hebrews 11, verse 6. But without faith, it is impossible to please him. That him is God. For he who comes to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Well, the reason why we start at verse 6 tonight is the word diligently and the word seek, combining there together. Here at Booth Chapel, we've, we've done that uh, study on the word seek. It's important to refresh our minds on the word seek. And here we are, diligently seeking God. Well, if you remember seek, you're, you're not going to stop until you find him. Well, someone who is diligently seeking, they're going to put everything aside. And they're going to put this one thing that they're seeking in first, in front, foremost. So when we're seeking God, we're putting everything to the back burner. Letting nothing come between us and this, this seeking act. Or we're not going to let nothing stop us from finding God. Now when I say finding God, I hope, you, hope it's clear enough to realize what I say. If not, here it is. First off, we need to find out what God would have us to do. Secondly, do the things that God would have us to do. Thirdly, to stay away from the things that God would have us to stay away from which couples with the second one, doing the things God would have us to do. Here we see our examples this evening. First one is Noah. Do you remember what Noah did? He did something significant. He did something so significant by following God's instructions that you and I are here today. Huh? What, what are you talking about? What I'm talking about is Noah building an ark. Whenever... Well, the purpose of needing to build this ark, God flooded the earth. Every air-breathing creature perished 
except eight souls and two by two of the animals. I told you he did something significant, and you and I are here today because it repented God that he had made man. That repentance is sorrowful. He was, God was sorrowful that he made mankind. Why would he be sorrowful that he had made man? Keep in mind in the, in the origin, in the beginning, in the creation of God, uh, creation of man by God, it pleased God. He seen that it was good. Think about this, folks. We was made in his image. So why would it displease God? Why would it repent God that he had made man? We find that in Genesis. And the chapter just escaped me. It was right there on the tip of my tongue. So we think about, it'll come to me. We think about disobeying God. Folks then, as it repented God, they, was, they had removed themselves. God wasn't even in nowhere in their hearts. The world was wicked. The, the thoughts, the intents of man was wicked. And he was, God himself was ready to destroy mankind, all the air-breathing animals upon this earth because of sin. And the continualness of sin. But he looked at Noah. He found grace in the eyes of Noah. He's seen faithful servants of his even unto this day. In 2021, well, I almost said 2020. Well, that's, that's behind us. That was, that's, we're moving forward. We're in 2021, Jeremy. And he found you serving him today through the eyes of Noah. So he gave Noah some instructions some specific instructions on how to build a boat, a very large boat. It was considered an ark. It was a life-saving vessel where eight souls and two by two of all animals living upon earth were saved by Noah's faith. Now, if you want to really study Noah's life, if you was to look at Noah very carefully, he was a preacher. He was a preacher, and he knew how to build boats. And as he was building this ark out here, with, they had yet to see any water, especially fall from the sky. They rebuked him. They thought he was a crazy man. The world just rebuked him. He says, what are you doing? You're wasting your time. And the whole time Noah was building this ark, he was trying to overturn or correct some folks. Because this water's coming. It's coming. So as the rain started to come down, could you imagine the thoughts of those who had rebuked Noah in building this ark? The water's getting deep. And by this time, God had closed the door of the ark. After all those animals were in, Noah and his family were in, all eight folks. The door God closed. Another significant study on that part. But moving on, could you imagine the people's thoughts saying, What have we done? Why didn't we turn from our ways? 
We are perishing. We are dying. Could you imagine they was beating on the side of that boat? Doom, 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 doom. Let us in. Let us in. And there's no way to get in. There was a small window way up top. There is no other way to board this ark. That time had come and gone. This sounds very familiar with our faith. For us to be able to see what's coming, and we're going to see this representation there in verse 13, but before we get there, verse 7, by faith, Noah being divinely warned of things not yet seen, moved with godly fear, prepared an ark for the saving of his household, by which he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness which is according to faith. By keeping the commandment of God of building this ark, he could have created a shortcut. He had an opportunity. He was a man just like you and I. To Well, that gopher wood's a little difficult to come by. We got a whole bunch of pine out back. Why don't we just use that instead? It'll still come together. It'll still hold the water out. He done exactly what God told him to do. And his entire household was saved. And you and I are still here through that righteous act. What does that say about our faith? How do we measure up to that degree? Well, there's one of our examples tonight. The next one is Abraham. Keep in mind, Abraham was considered the friend of God. Verse 8. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to the place which he would receive as an inheritance, and he went out not knowing where he was going. Excuse me. Now we find this in Genesis 12. I can remember that because there's a wonderful lesson on a Genesis 12 Christian and a Genesis 22 Christian. That should be our yearnings. That, that should be our goal to be that Genesis chapter 22 child of God. So here we see in Genesis chapter 12 that God told Abraham to go to a place and I'm going to show you. Don't know where you're going. You're going to go. So what does he do? He goes. Without question he goes. Well, most of us can just go. Most, most, a child of God can mostly obey God to a, uh, to a degree. The reason why that lesson is so an impacted lesson, not many folks can be that Genesis chapter 22 child of God or Christian. Why would you say that? I'm ready to follow God to the end. You ready to give up your only child? ready to take his life his or hers life by your own hand Abraham was he drew the knife back as we had an example this morning here we see Abraham getting instructions from God to go to a place and he's going to receive an inheritance from the instructions of, of God in verse 9 by faith he dwelt in the land of promise as in a foreign country dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob and heirs of him of the same promise for he waited for the city which had foundations 
whose builder and maker is God. Let's stop there in verse 10. Notice what, notice what Abraham did. Exactly. He was a foreign country. This is a place he had never seen before. A lot of us are a little afraid to go out and try things new. That, that's, hey, I'm right there with you. I'm a little hesitant to go try something new. Now, when I was encouraged about Melissa and I's missionary work down there in the San Blas Islands, I was a little, I was a little scared because I, I didn't know anything about the place. Didn't exactly know where it was till I was shown on a map or, a, or atlas, whatever. There it is. Wow, that's a little bitty. That's way down yonder. Don't want to get lost down yonder because you might not make your way back. It's a little terrifying. Now imagine Abraham going to this far country as foreigners, as someone who don't know where they're going. So they dwell, dwell in tents. They get it rough. They left their home. So here they're dwelling in this foreign country yearning for this promise that God had promised him. But notice what he did. He went. He went and yearned for it. He was obedient to God. That's how his faith was. Does that mean he stumbled? Of course. Of course. He's just like you and I. But God's seen within him a great faith. He sees within you a great faith. Now the question is, do we show him our faith? Keep in mind what James chapter 2 teaches what does James chapter 2 teach? James chapter 2 teaches this. Faith without works is dead. James also says there in James chapter 2, says, show me your faith without your works, and I will show you my faith by, by the things that I do, by my works. I'm going to show you who I represent. I'm going to show you whom I serve. That being God. The world shows us whom they serve. Satan. Well, let's don't serve Satan. At all. Let's have nothing to do with Satan. Let's have such a great faith being obedient to God, yearning for something as we patiently wait for the coming of God. Or the coming of the second coming of Christ. I said we we're going to look at three, but that's our two main ones. That's our two main ones. And the last one I use is I would say greater than all. How can you put a degree on somebody's faith? <laughs> Jesus Christ. How about Jesus Christ's faith to his father? How about that faith? He was a ser he was a servant to his father without wavering. Yet he went to the cross for us. So we see Abraham, we see Noah as men, just as you and I, to be obedient to God's instructions. But yet they were men. We see Jesus Christ coming to this earth, God taking on human form and still being obedient to his Father. Folks, he was still human. He still had an opportunity to sin, but guess what? He says, no, I shall and will not because I go to the cross for you. He went to the cross for us so we don't have to be condemned on judgment day. We have... Well, we should have such a great faith as Noah and Abraham are two examples there about yearning for a promise. Do we yearn for that promise that is heaven? Let's read verse 13 of Hebrews chapter 11. 
These all died in faith. Now, let's stop right there for just a second. These all died in faith. What is that saying? It means they stopped breathing and they were faithful to God. That's what that says. They didn't stop. They continued on. They continued yearning for the promise, yet they perished. When I say perished, they quit breathing. They, they died. Just like uh, Hebrews 9, 27 teaches, for it's appointed for men to die once, and after this the judgment. They all died in faith. Having received the promise and having seen them afar off, were assured of them. So they received the promise and had yet see it. Hmm. Does that sound familiar at all? Have, have we not been promised something as a child of God? We've been promised something in the New Testament that the folks in the Old Testament were yearning for. Heaven. To be in the dwelling place of God. We see Noah. We see Abraham being faithful to God, receiving instructions and performing them to the best of their abilities. Noah could have shortcut it very easily. He very well could have, but he didn't. He followed God's instructions. Abraham also, he could have said, well, I'm not going today. I'll go later. The reason why I say uh, that Genesis 12 and a Genesis chapter 22 Christian is such a powerful lesson because if you'll notice the faith of Abraham in Genesis chapter 22 when God tells Abraham to go up onto this mountain and offer your son as a burnt offering. I say it that way because a burnt offering is totally destroyed. And this is the promise through his son that the promise is given. God promised Abraham through his son his seed will be magnified. God, he, Abraham remembered that promise. So he, he tells those two young men on that donkey, says, this lad and I shall be back. We shall return. He's going up on this mountain to kill him. He, had, he trusted in God. He trusted in God enough to be obedient to him and to go through with it. Genesis chapter 22 needs to be our goal as a child of God, ready to put God first. To have that type of faith that says, I'm going to be obedient to you, God, and no other. How often does things in the world come between us and God? Often. Often. Sometimes we put something before God and we're unaware of it. What do you mean? How's our attendance? The numbers always are different. That's not just here at Booth Chapel. It's everywhere. Something comes between someone and God. Why is that? It says a lot about our faith. These men, these two men are examples. Noah and Abraham. Let nothing come between them and being obedient to God. And they died receiving the promise. But having seen them afar off, were assured of them, embraced them, and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. Did you notice that? 
were strangers and pilgrims upon this place. This earth, this place, this now is not our home or it should be. Nor should it be at all our home. Sure, we have homes, we have cars, we have workplaces, we have dwelling places, but this is not our home. We're just passing through. We sing a song, I'm just passing through. When you sing that, do you, does it, does it, do you feel the meaning of it? When you say that, that, that you're here for a temporary time and you're dwelling places with God and that's your home and you're trying to get back there, how much do you mean that? shouldn't have to say it at all, should you? James 2, right? Faith and works working together makes us complete. These all died in faith, not having received the promise, but having seen them afar off, were assured of them, embraced them, and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. And listen to verse 14. For those who say such things declare plainly that they seek a homeland. Seeking, remember? Those who diligently seek something. Are we diligently seeking that homeland? That place is reserved for those who are faithful. And folks, it's an encouragement to know that we can stand pure, whole, and justified. Remember this morning's lesson, justified? We can stand justified before God. If we put Him first, and be obedient to his commands. And that's dependent upon each one. But when we think of having a place reserved for those who are faithful, are you of that number? Here we see two examples. Just little short backgrounds of, of each one of them. No, Abraham. Wonderful examples of fulfilling instructions from God. How would we measure it with such a great faith? I can remember another, another example just popped into my mind. How about the centurion? You remember the centurion? When Christ was walking around teaching, he was instructing folks, and that centurion walks unto him. He says, my son is sick. All you have to do is speak the words. You don't have to touch him because his son was afar off. He was, he was to the point where he couldn't come to him. He says, all you have to do is speak the words, and I know that you can heal him. What, do you remember what Christ said? No greater faith I have seen in the house of Israel. That was a child of the chosen people of God. They should have had a greater faith than anybody else seeking this homeland. Remember, we're strangers. We're strangers here upon this earth. We're just passing through. We don't want to stay here. We want to go on to God. That centurion had a great faith. Christ recognized it. And through that great faith, that boy was healed. What a wonderful, what a wonderful thing. To be able to understand what God would have us to do and to go do it. We're encouraged by the scriptures to, stay, to take strength 
in Christ. Because Philippians 4.13 plainly says, Christ strengthens us. can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. The word through is important there. Just as in is important in John 3.16, several different little, little words that you wouldn't think was significant at all is very significant. you got to be in Christ. Being obedient to His commands. Being obedient to the Father. Loving the Father. Keeping all of those commands that's been given to us and have that great faith. And you will have everlasting life. That's what God promises. So my encouragement at this time in this lesson, you need to look within yourself. Do you find your faith lacking? Do you feel this shortcoming? You feel like you haven't tried your best. We've been warned about that lukewarm church, have we not? That lukewarm church on Judgment Day, Christ will spew you out of his mouth. Let's don't be that church. That would be horrible. Depart from me, you workers of iniquity. I say that over and over again because I'd rather hear it now than on Judgment Day. To have an opportunity to get right. To have an opportunity to have our faith re-energized, if you will. To be ready, willing, and able to go out there into the world and serve God and God only. Let nothing come between you and him, his, him and His commands. I did not say it was going to be easy. Nor has the Scriptures told us that it was going to be easy. But this heavenly hope should be fresh onto our minds. To know that this place is not our home. And we have a place that's waiting for us. Continue reading with me in verses 15 and 16. And truly, if they had called to mind that country from which they had come out, they would have had opportunity to return. But now, they desire a better. That is, a heavenly country. Therefore God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. God's preparing a place. He's already prepared a place where Christ is right now, sitting at the right hand of God. Where would you be? How does your faith measure up according to God's will? Have you been that Christian that you should have been? Have you been doing the things that you should be doing? Or have you done some things and said some things that's displeasing to God? We always offer an opportunity to get right. We always do that. We don't have to wait to get right. Just to, we don't have to wait to meet. If it's between you and God, get right then. Don't let the sun set on your wrath to God because when we sin, when we fall short, when we lose our faith, it's wrath to God. We're showing God wrath. Do you want God to show you wrath? Well, most assuredly not. Everybody wants to paint a God, a loving God. The world wants to paint God as a just a loving, wonderful, saving God. He has those characteristics. He also is a just God. He's a wrathful God. He has shown that wrath in our Old Testament examples. He's shown that wrath even in the New Testament. My, my thoughts go to Ananias and Sapphira. That's, that's my thought. 
Because how often does the world lie to God? How often does Christians lie to God? That's sad. God doesn't destroy us physically. He destroys us spiritually. That separation happens. You're no longer connected to Him. He prunes you. Remember the parable of the true vine? He prunes you. He cuts you off. Gathered together to be burned. And the representation of that as well is those Jews who disbelieved that Christ was the Son of God. He ain't the Son of God. We're waiting on somebody else. We're waiting on somebody to, to, to lead us. We're waiting on the earthly king. God removed them. But Christ taught us, you might have been removed, but God is able to graft you back in through your belief. Through your belief. Through your faith. Through your obedience. So what does that say about us today? Even though it's 2021, does that mean it's easier? No, it's not. Nope. <laughs> Fighting Satan in our everyday walk of life. We do realize he is an adversary and a half. I say that because he's God's adversary as well. He should and needs to be our adversary, not our ally. Keep in mind what Christ told those Jews. He said, you are of your father, Satan. He's the father of a liar. He has been a murderer from the beginning. Why would we want to follow a murderer? Why would we want to follow us a liar? The world says, let's go. Yeah, that's the one who we want to follow. That would be such a sad scenario on Judgment Day. We have, a, we have an opportunity right now as we close upon this lesson to understand what God would have us to do, perform those tasks to the best of our ability, I did not say we're perfect. I, I don't. Let me clarify. We are not perfect. We're fallible human beings. God knows that. That's the reason why 1 John 1 to 7 is there. So when we realize what God would have us to do, we do those tasks to the best ability that God has supplied us with. It's pleasing in His eyes. And one of those tasks is repentance. Repentance means to turn away from. Stop doing. Turn away from those things. You find yourself outside of God tonight. If you find yourself lacking in the faith, I want to encourage something. There's no reason you should take another breath. There's no reason you should take another step in your life being lost. Because if you find yourself lacking in faith, you're lost. If you find yourself on the weak side, the dead side, the vain side of all these other faiths, you're lost. There is no reason you should stand before God being lost. Find out what He would have you to do and do those things. Right now, it's if, if you have sin in your life, if you have sin that's known, repent of that sin. Confess that sin and ask God to forgive you of that sin if... And only if you have been immersed or baptized for the remission of sins. Don't get me wrong. Baptism is essential for salvation. You don't believe me? Mark 16, 16. Baptism is essential. He who believes and is baptized. The, the word and is a plus sign. You got to have both. Believe is a type of faith. Do you believe in the name of the Son of God right now? 
If you believe enough to change your life, change your ways, to get out of a covenant relationship with Satan and come to God, come to it. Cast off the works of evilness and of darkness, of disobedience, and come to God and be immersed for the remission of your sins. Of our number that's in here tonight, we have all been immersed. We've all been baptized for the remission of sins. But that does not mean we're automatically saved on Judgment Day, now does it? It means we have an opportunity in our everyday walk of life to be faithful. We have an opportunity in our everlasting judgment scene to be justified. If you've taken that short walk with Satan, you've taken yourself out of that justified act, that, that justified status, excuse me. But you can come back. You can come back right now. Do you need to come back to God? Do you need to be restored? Do you need to have your faith revitalized? Why don't we do so as we stand and as we sing the song of invitation?